You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. 100 years ago, or so on the 11th of November 1920, there was a coffin placed on a, a, the Royal a Horse Artillery Carriage and travelled through the streets of London. And you've got the end point already on the screen. And it travelled through the line streets. The first stop was at the Cenotaph which King George then unveiled for the very first time. And they at 11 o'clock had their two minutes of silence. And then the, the cortege went along from Whitehall right through to Westminster Abbey. And the king at this burial led a wreath and he wrote a card which read this. In proud memory of those warriors who died unknown in the great war, unknown yet well known as dying, behold, they live. The coffin belonged to that unknown warrior that is still in place in Westminster Abbey. And in fact, there's a picture of the Queen visiting it for a, a short ceremony in recent days. And it was a memorial to those who had fallen in World War I. Simultaneously, the French were doing something very similar. They buried their own unknown warrior. And in the week that followed, over one million people came to Westminster Abbey to visit that very site totally remarkable. The following year, in 1921, we have this black marble that we still see today. And the text inscribed in it is obviously different verses of scripture, but one from Second Chronicles. Speaking of the unknown warrior, they buried him among the kings because he had done good towards God and his house. To this day, the tomb of the unknown warrior is to remind us who had fallen for king and for country. And we jump into this story in Joshua chapter 8. And they had just buried somebody. In fact, a family of people. And it wasn't to remember that they had fallen for king and for country. But actually they had fallen away from God and had sinned. Because in Joshua chapter 7, we read the story of the sin of Achan. Achan's sin. So we come into this story in Joshua 8. And they have just been reminded of the great loss of life. They have been reminded of defeat and death. It's very fresh in their minds. And they will need to learn, as we need to learn, to be trusting in the definite help of God. That's what Joshua 8 teaches us, that we need to be trusting in the definite help of God. And Israel had experienced this, this definite help of God as they left Egypt under the slavery of Pharaoh. The definite help of God would led them through the wilderness the definite help of God that allowed them to conquer Jericho. The definite help of God that allows nations such as ours to win wars. All of God's mighty hand. And for us personally, in our circumstances, whatever we are going through, whatever struggles we might have, whatever difficulties we experience, we need to know the help of God's hand. We need to trust in the definite help of God that he gives to us, his people. We need to be trusting in this definite help of God. And how do the Israelites know about this definite help of God? Well, firstly, victory belongs to God. Victory belongs to the Lord. This week has been an interesting week with people claiming victory, hasn't it? Whether it be in the sphere of politics or in sport or business dealings or academic achievement, in whatever sphere of life it is, we like to say we have, we have had success or we have had been victorious 
we will claim that we have earned it or achieved it. But in Joshua 8, what the writer wants to make really clear for us is not that Israel conquered Ai, but that is the Lord who conquered Ai. It was the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord. In chapter 7, what has just happened to the people? Well, in those first couple of verses of Joshua 7, Joshua sends out spies to Ai. Good start to check it all out. And they return, and they're quite arrogant. They say, we only need a few thousand men to conquer this city. They go, relying on their own strength. And what do they face? Defeat. They tried to conquer Ai, and they had failed. It was a demoralizing defeat. And we're told in chapter 7, in verse 5, that their hearts melted, and they became weak like water. They were weak like water, because they did not trust in the definite help of God. They tried to be independent from the Lord, and that is why they failed. Achan had stolen from the Lord. In Union Road in October, we were looking at different festivals, including the festival of the first fruits. And whenever Israel went into Jericho, they were to give all the plunder to the Lord, like the first fruits. But Achan took some from himself, and he sinned against the Lord. And how were Israel to be put back on track? They had to confess their sin. They had to repent. And they had to return to dependence on God. Chapter 7, Israel acted unfaithfully, acted independently. Chapter 8, they returned to their dependence on the Lord. See, this victory belongs to the Lord for a number of reasons. The first one is this. In verse 1, God gives encouragement. God gives encouragement. God says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Remember, their hearts are weak like water. They feel like they can't go on in this conquest. God says to them, fear not. He gives them encouragement and lets them know that they can truly rely on him because he is with them every step of the way. God gives them this reassurance before he gives it before they conquered Jericho to Joshua as he takes over the leadership and is a word of encouragement for them. For despite their past events, despite their past sin, despite the fear of what they might have for the future, God says, don't be afraid. Hear my words. And surely for us today, there's an application for that. No matter the fears that we have currently, the fears of the future, the discouragements that we face in our everyday life, in our faith in the difficult times, whenever we sin and feel that we've been set back in our faith, despite our discouraging circumstances, the Lord says, fear not. Fear not. Why could they fear not? Because they had failed in sin, but God had forgiven them. What an encouragement that was to them. Despite being independent, away from God, there was forgiveness because they returned to him. He gave them encouragement to keep going with their walk with the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord also because God gives the plan. And you'll see a little bit of a map there. Before conquering Jericho, there's an elaborate plan. It's really fleshed out for us. And here in verse 2, God just says, set an ambush. Very simple. And then in these following verses, we have Joshua telling them the plan and the plan implemented, don't we? Joshua tells the set 5,000 men to the west and the rest to the north. And it really is an elaborate deceit because they had been to Ai and failed. And Ai thought they would be able to conquer again. 
And as the Israelites flee, we have this incredible picture. Can you imagine fleeing and looking back at your hometown and it up in flames and smoke? And suddenly the people that you're chasing have turned around and are chasing after you. They're truly caught in the middle and AI is destroyed. Every last man is destroyed except one, the king. He survives just for a little bit, but we'll come back to him. Now, we're now allowed to take this victory over AI, to take all their plunder, all the city's goods and riches. And how were they to get this victory? God gave them the plan, and they had to implement it. They had to trust in the definite help of God. They had to trust in every instruction that the Lord had given them. See, rather than just using a few thousand, like chapter 7, they use everybody. And Joshua, I don't, if you noticed, uh, down in verse 20, 24 or so, Joshua, he implements what uh, Moses does or echoes it. He holds out his javelin over the city, the whole battle law. Because Moses does the same fighting the Amalekites. He has both hands in the air. And we're told in Scripture that when he grew tired, his hands started to fall and Israel started to be losing the battle. And then they had to hold his hands up that Israel would win. What is that indicating? What is Joshua being taught? What is Israel being taught? What was Moses being taught? It wasn't in the strength of Israel, but in their eyes set on the Lord's plan. The eyes were set on the definite help of God. That's what brought them this victory and this success. Yes, they had to implement the plan and obey God's word, but God says the victory is mine. You have to follow my plan. Because very clearly it is God who gives the victory. Victory belongs to God because God gives it. In verse 2, in verse 1, sorry, what does the Lord say to them? I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai. The Lord says, I have delivered. Hasn't even happened yet, but the Lord gives this instruction because it's so certain, so secure that they will win this. I have delivered. They need to have the faith to go on and follow God's instruction and plan but it will bring certain victory because they are trusting in the definite help of God. Certain victory over this enemy of AI. God says it's certain that you will have victory. And we too need to experience this victory over God's enemies. The enemy for Israel is all these different kings dotted around the promised land, always pointing to one because each of these kings and nations, they don't believe in this God. All pointing to God's ultimate enemy of Satan, which he defeats through Jesus. We need to be trusting in the definite help of God because the victory for Israel, the victory for us in our lives, belongs to the Lord. We have great encouragement to keep going, remembering that God has plans set in place, his word to follow and instruct us. Israel, they were trusting the definite help of God, and we see that because victory belongs to the Lord. But secondly, that judgment belongs to the Lord. Verses 20 to 29. I'm sure that someone has spoken to you, maybe a friend or even worse, your parents at a time, and internally, or maybe even out loud, you have thought and said, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me how I should live? We get agitated and annoyed whenever people judge us, we might say. 
we get nervous and anxious. I know I did whenever uh, being assessed, whenever the, the, the tutor came out to teach. You get nervous. Sometimes you even feel guilty when you've done nothing wrong. Whenever a police car is in your rearview mirror, you're just so tentative. You don't want to do anything wrong in case you're judged. None of us like being judged. And that's why we can maybe identify with the words of the musician of Bob Marley here. Who are you to judge the life I live? I know I'm not perfect and I don't live to be, but before you start pointing fingers, make sure your hands are clean. We take judgment much better from people that we respect and know. But when we talk about living life and judging our lives, we don't like people telling us what they think. And we can empathize with Bob Marley because not everyone's fingers are clean. We want people's, no one's fingers are clean, so we think, why would we listen to what you have to say? And that is very true for each of us. But when it comes to God and his words, well, his hands are clean. He is pure and perfect. And judgment belongs to the Lord, not just in how we live life, but over life itself. But we should be listening to what God's word says because judgment belongs to him. Judgment belongs to the Lord. That is why we see AI judged. We see AI judged because... They are not trusting in the definite help of God. They are not following God's ways. You'll see throughout, especially in those last few verses, about there being aliens, people outside of Israel who had come into God's people. Why? Because they trusted the Lord. AI is judged. A city which is set alight, an army trapped, it is judged because they are set up against God. People against God are set up to be judged by God. The judgment belongs to the Lord in the destruction of Ai, but also in the execution of the king, the figurehead of it all. In verse 23, the king is captured, and by verse 29, the king is dead. They take the king to be made an example of that all the kings in the region would know what would happen to those set up against Israel. And they take his body, they hang him on a tree to show the public humiliation of what that would be, what every other king was going to have to fear if Israel came their way. But that king on a tree was a very clear symbol for Israel because in the law they're told that a body on a tree is cursed. A body on a tree is cursed. It was a sign to the Israelites of God's curse and of God's judgment. It was to be a reminder to each Israelite as they saw that body hanging from a tree or a pole, what would happen if they did not follow God's ways? If they did not follow the Lord, they would have severe consequences for resisting him. It's a solemn sign for the king of Ai and all the other nations around and cities that those against Israel, those against the Lord, stand under God's curse and judgment. It is a picture of God's judgment so that they would not be hardened to the seriousness of sin. This is a picture for Israel that they would not forget the seriousness of sin and would be hardened from it. And Galatians 3 also tells us that everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. We have this picture for Israel of a king hanging on a tree, cursed, condemned, to remind us of God's judgment, that we would never forget the seriousness of sin, 
But we have another picture of a king on a tree, the king of the Jews, Jesus hanging on a tree because Christ hangs on a tree and is cursed. Christ hangs on the tree and is cursed. What was the king of Ai hanging on the tree for? Because he was set up against God. What about Jesus? He's not set up against God. No, but he has made a curse. Why is he, Christ, made a curse for us, for each one of us? Christ has made a curse that we would not face this judgment because Christ hangs on a tree and takes it. He takes judgment. He's experiencing the curse of sin and death that we deserve. And he has hung, dying on that cross for you and for me, getting what our sin deserves. But instead, we get to enjoy the blessing. Christ takes the curse so that we would take the blessing, enjoying assurance of our sins forgiven, the hope of eternal life and glory in Christ because of the curse hanging on the tree, our Jesus. Because Christ, like all elements of judgment, judgment will always bring victory. Well, Christ hangs on the tree. He takes judgment. But Christ hangs on the tree and gives victory. Until his return, Christ's kingdom will grow and grow and grow. His kingdom will always advance. And that fatal blow was Christ on the cross. The fatal blow to Satan was Christ's curse on the cross. We deserve the curse. We deserve to be cut off from God, just like Christ. We deserve God's, God, God's judgment that Christ absorbed for us. Christ is cursed so that we might be blessed. See, in Jesus, we have the very picture of our loving God. In Jesus, we can see that we can firmly place our trust in the definite help of God because he rescues us from our greatest enemy of Satan. He rescues us because he gives us victory through his own judgment that should have been ours. Victory belongs to the Lord. Judgment belongs to the Lord. And then finally in verses 30 to 34, worship, or 35, worship belongs to the Lord. The destruction of Ai and its king is now completed. And now we are whisked away 20 miles north or so to, as you can see on the screen, Mount Gerizim, Mount Abel, and Shechem. And here everyone meets together. And in these verses, and in verse 33 of chapter 8, we have the emphasis that it's all people, okay? So it's all Israel, alien citizens, their elders, officials, and rulers. Uh, and then again, in, in verse 35, that it's the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children, the aliens who lived among them. It's for all people, this moment of worship. Everybody is gathered together. And what happens in this place one mountain is going to be, or mount's going to be called the Mount of Blessing, and the other the Mount of Cursing. And Israel are split, and the Ark of the Covenant's in the middle of them all. And we read here that Joshua builds an altar to the Lord. They make an offering to the Lord. They have a, a sacrificed fellowship offering. And in the presence of all Israel, they write the law, uh, the Ten Commandments again, and they worship God. And they are commanded to read the blessings and curses in the book of the law. 
We are commanded to read the blessings and cursings. This is what Moses was instructed by God to make sure that Israel did. Whenever they got to this exact point, they are to be reminded of the blessing and the cursing of God. Here, the Israelites, after this defeat of Ai in chapter 7, and then victory, here they recommit themselves to the covenant. They recommit themselves to be trusting in the definite help of God throughout the rest of their journey. This was to be worship for all the people, that all people would trust in the Lord. But this isn't just any random place that the Lord brings them to. It might seem very random, but the Lord wants them to, be, to remember. They're in the middle here, Shechem. It's back where it all started for Israel. Because in Genesis 12, it is in Shechem that God speaks to Abram and tells him that there's going to be a land for you and a people for you. And here they are, centuries later, with a nation just conquered a couple of cities, about to conquer the land, and they are reminded to worship their law, their God, that worship belongs to him, that God indeed always kept his promise, even when it seemed unlikely, because his help is always with his people. They're about to find this fulfillment of Abraham's promise in this land. They're able to recognize God's faithfulness because here they are back at the very start to remember God's promise. All the people of God must obey all the word of God. That is to be their first priority here. But isn't this a place of mount, a mountain of blessing and cursing the most fitting place for Israel to be right in this moment. Because what have they just experienced from God? They've experienced both the cursing in chapter 7 of Achan's sin, defeat in Ai, bringing death and destruction, but they've also experienced the blessing of God when they have their trust in him that brings life and God's plan to fruition. These taking of these cities for Israel had come at a cost. Why did it come at a cost? Because they had no trust in their God. There's a curse, and the curse is of sin, which will lead to death and destruction for Israel and for us. But there is the blessing of faith, of trusting, because we will have forgiveness of sin, which will lead to life and fulfillment. The curse for Israel, just brought God's judgment upon them. The curse for Ai in that city that was set up against God just brought the curse of God's judgment. But the blessing will bring us an ex the victory experience of God because we need to be trusting him. The tomb of the unknown warrior, 100 years old, it's marked for everyone to remember the sacrifice we know the story behind it. And on the tombstone, as I started with, was these words, they buried him among the kings because he had done good towards God and his house. It's just an example of one man among thousands and thousands and thousands who died for the freedom of millions and millions and millions. One grave just to represent so many. 
we need to remember another grave that's empty. The empty grave of Jesus. Because although that unknown warrior is buried among the kings, we will not be buried among the kings, but we will be alive and living with the king in Jesus because of his sacrifice for our freedom. One man laid down his life for millions upon millions upon millions, all of his people, because Christ, in Christ we see that there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, but we see that ultimate fulfillment in him. Christ laid down, lays down his life for us that we might not be buried with kings, but be alive with the king. Let us give thanks that Jesus bore the curse of sin on the cross for us and bestows blessing, inheritance, victory, and our ultimate eternal reward by faith. Let us be trusting in the definite help of God, which we see in Jesus.